Do you have a good testimony? Let's find out today on Changed by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. When people hear your name, what do they say about you? Is it good or bad? All of us have a reputation, and how we live reveals whether it's a good one or not. In today's message, we will look at Demetrius and examine what others said about him as we look at 3 John verses 12 through 15. Well, I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and turn to 3 John. We're looking at 3 John once again. And we're looking at the third man that is mentioned in this letter. His name is Demetrius. And he's mentioned in verse 12. And so we're going to spend a lot of time on verse 12, but we're also going to consider the final verses, verses 13 through 15. So today, Lord willing, we will complete our study of 3 John. I want to begin reading at verse 12. And so you follow as I read. It says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I'm not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. How important is a good testimony? And I'm not talking about the one that you have about coming to Christ. I'm talking about what others say about you. Because John tells us that Demetrius has received a good testimony. Now this is the opposite of Diotrephes. What others said about him was not good. He loved to be first. He didn't accept what John said when he sent the letter to the church. He unjustly accused John and his colleagues with wicked words. And he did not receive the brethren, but put them and those who did out of the church. John said in verse 11 that what he was doing was purely evil. John also didn't want anyone imitating his evil behavior. Now, Demetrius, on the other hand, was good. And he demonstrated that he was of God. Did you know that the Proverbs mention how important a good name is? In fact, it says it in Proverbs 22 and verse 1 that it's more desired than great wealth. Did you hear that? It's more desired than all the money, all the riches in the world. And before I say more, I need to tell you that I'm not literally talking about your name. I'm not talking about my name. I'm talking about what our name implies. When you talk to someone or you meet them for the first time, you hear their name, and obviously you don't have any information about them to have any kind of opinion 
or impressions about them. But over time, as you get to know them, you do. And so therefore, when you say the name of an individual, we're not talking about the name itself, we're talking about their life. And that's what Proverbs 22 is talking about. When people hear your name mentioned, what do they immediately think about you? As I said, a good name is talking about your reputation, it's talking about your character, it's identifying who you are from a moral and ethical standpoint. Essentially, it's what you're all about. Solomon further added in Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 1 that a good name is better than a good ointment. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. In the words of Rabbi Simon who said, there are three crowns. You have the crown of the law, the crown of priesthood, and the crown of royalty. But the crown of a good name surpasses them all. Just like we saw in Proverbs 22.1, it's greater than all the wealth that is in the world. So your name has a reference to your character. It has a reference to your reputation. Someone said good character equals good name. Bad character equals bad name. Let me just illustrate this by two people in the Bible. All of us remember Jacob. The Bible tells us that his name meant deceiver. And his name fit his character very well. Because he started out as a deceiver, a trickster. He actually tricked Esau out of his birthright. And he deceived his father out of Esau's blessing. But God later changed him. And after he changed him, he renamed him. You know what he renamed him? Israel. Because he had, according to Genesis 32, 22 and following, he had striven with God and with men and had prevailed. Another name that we all know, is Judas. What does his name mean? Immediately you probably think traitor. No, that was his character. That was his behavior. Interesting that his name meant praise. It meant let God be praised. It comes from a Hebrew word yada, which means to praise. But there was certainly no praise from his heart or from his lips. It was rather deceit and deception and lies and hate. And yes, he was a traitor to the Lord Jesus Christ, betraying him with just 30 pieces of silver. Yesterday, I spent a little bit of time tracking down what the value of those 30 pieces of silver were. And uh, here's what I came up with. First of all, it's mentioned in Matthew 26, 15. Judas asked, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? So he was speaking to the chief priest. 
And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. The parallel is in Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. And it appears to point out, however, that, that there were shekels mentioned in that verse. And the shekels was equivalent to four drachma, or about 60 cents. Linsky agrees, and he says the 30 shekels, or the 60 drachmas, or denarii, it would be about $10. He betrayed the Son of God for $10. The Jews of Jesus' day who offered that amount were basically saying that he was worth no more than a common slave. Albert Barnes says, this sum was fixed to show their contempt of Jesus and that they regarded him as of little value. Now to us who know him, you, you can't put a value on him, can you? You can't put a value on his work either. But you can see from these two examples that names are important because they are attached to reputation and character. Now, on the other hand, there's a Greek word, dokoeo, which is translated opinion. And it refers to someone or to something. You have an opinion about someone, you have an opinion about something, and it was used as a term actually of great esteem or great regard. For example, it was used of Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5 and verse 34. It says that there was a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people. That's that Greek word. He was very respected. It was also used of the Jerusalem apostles in Galatians 2.2. It says, It was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation. And again, same word. We find it used in Philippians 2.29 to speak of Epaphroditus, who Paul says, Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. So you just find from that word alone that speaks of this great esteem, or this great regard, or this, this opinion about others, that it's also speaking of respect and reputation and high regard. Now we get the idea of a good reputation also from verse 11. If you look down at verse 11 in 3 John, John says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. So what others think is important. You might be the type that says, I really don't care what people think about me. Well, you should care if what they think about you or say about you is not good. That it's not right. That what they have to say about you is really a reference like in verse 11 to evil in your life. You know, there are some people that always likes to talk about the past, and they never talk about the here and now or the future. 
There are some people that like to talk about what you used to be like, and they don't talk about what you are now, which is different than what you used to be like. But what others think about us is certainly important. In fact, it can affect your entire livelihood. I used to be an employer and used to interview potential employees, and we would ask for references. And I'd have to spend time chasing down the people that they referred to about them. And you know as well as I do that if you're turning in something, a resume or an application for a job, you're not going to give any bad references. You're not going to give names of people that will say something bad about you. You want people that are going to say good things, right? Well, it certainly can affect how you live. We're told in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7, it certainly affects the ability of those who lead the church. It says that elders must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Why is it important that you have a good reputation as a pastor with those who are outside the church? We can't always take what they say with a grain of salt, but in many cases we actually can because when it comes down to it, that how you live your life in front of unbelievers is either going to make a good impression on them or a sour impression on them. What's your reputation like? It certainly can also affect our decision when we include others in ministry other than pastoral. For example, before Timothy became the pastor of the church at Ephesus, Acts 16 and verse 2 says that Timothy was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And again, this is very important. We just heard this morning as we were reading in our scripture reading 1 Timothy 5, did you notice in there where it said, do not be haste in laying your hands on somebody? And of course, that is referring to ordination. The Bible teaches the ordination of pastors, the ordination of men into ministry. And so when you're examining a person for ministry, you don't want to just take a person who comes up to you and says, hey, I feel like God's called me to ministry. You know, I'd like to get ordained. And boom, next Sunday we ordain you. And that doesn't really work like that. It takes time. And sometimes it could take a year. It could take two years. Because it takes time to see what the reputation is in the person. Unfortunately, people act differently here in church than they do at home. And so if you're going to examine a person, where do you need to go? You need to go to their house. And it's not going to take one time to do it. It's going to take a number of times. Because the first time that you go to their house, they're, they got everything prim and proper and right and making sure that you know, there's not something there laying on the table that's going to cause a problem and discriminate them toward you, make them where they're not qualified to serve in ministry. But I'll tell you about after the third time, they've got used to you coming And they begin to get comfortable around you. And that's where the examination needs to be seen. Because once they begin to get comfortable with you, then you begin to see how they really live. Not the pretend way. 
You get to see that whether what they're saying matches how they live. And again, it takes time. I remember I was involved in an ordination of a young man that I knew, knew him pretty well. And uh, I was asking a lot of questions in that ordination council, and I had the gentleman that was leading that council stop me and tell me that this is not the time for these questions. And I thought to myself, well, when is the time? I mean, is this just procedural? I mean, is this just something that we're going through so that we can say that we did it, and then we're going to go out there and put our hands on them and ordain them into ministry? Or are we going to have some serious questions answered? If it wasn't for the fact that I knew the man, and I really knew that he was a person who could be ordained to ministry, I would have left that meeting. Because again, we don't want to lay hands too quickly on somebody because what did it say in the text we were seeing up there on the screen or that you were hearing as it was read in your Bible? There are some sins that are very evident, but then there are some sins that follow after. See, if you lay your hands on somebody, you're sharing in their life. And if they are involved in some kind of sin that didn't come out in the beginning, but it comes out later, guess what? You have now shared in that sin. That's what that text is implying. That's why you don't want to do it so quickly. That's why you want to be careful in your examinations. Now, as we begin to look at verse 12 here in 3 John, we hear John mention three testimonies in this verse. And all have to do with a good name or reputation. John said that they came from others, they came from the truth, and it came from John and his colleagues about Demetrius. So let's notice the first testimony about Demetrius as we look at verse 12. John says that Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. He received a good testimony from everyone. That's the kind of response that you want to hear. And here in this case, as we have been talking about 3 John, this is now our third message on it, but as we've been talking about this, you had a situation with a gentleman in the church that did not want to show hospitality. But on the other hand, you had another man who did. And the first man we looked at was Gaius. Gaius showed hospitality. Gaius was a faithful believer in Christ. Gaius was obedient to the Word of God. The second man, which was Diotrephes, Diotrephes wasn't any of that. Diotrephes loved to be first, and because he loved to be first, he did not want anyone or anything bringing that place that he held of high esteem in the church into jeopardy. So John was a threat to him. These traveling itinerant preachers coming into the church were a threat to him. Gaius was a threat to him. Demetrius was a threat to him. Anybody who was of the truth was a threat to him. And we saw last time, as a result of his own pride, how it affected his behavior. And today we want to see the other side. 
Demetrius has received a good testimony. He has a good reputation. And it was well known. This word testimony is where we get the word martyr. It's martyreo. But the word itself is it's used in various ways. It's used to speak of testifying. Just like last night in our Thanksgiving dinner that we had, we had two men in our church testify of their relationship with Jesus Christ. That is martyreo. It also means to bear witness. And again, these two men did the same thing. They were bearing witness to the work of Christ. But it also means to speak well of. And here it carries that meaning. And it carries it with the thought of being approvingly testified of. When people would testify about Demetrius, it was with approval. So if Demetrius was running for any kind of political office, he would have got in. He would have had the support of the people. Because everything about him was right. It was good. It showed, according to verse 11, that this is a man you would like to imitate. This is a man who was of God. When people spoke his name, again, they spoke well of him. But what made him receive such a good testimony from everyone? And again, I believe it has to do with the fact that he was a godly man. This was a godly young man. This was one who was an example and who was loyal to the gospel. He was obedient to the word of God. He, like Gaius, was walking in the truth. And we saw that phrase, walking in the truth, that it has to do with being obedient to the Word of God. It can be used of us too. If we're being obedient to the Word of God, we are walking in the truth. When we're not obedient to the Word of God, we're not being those who are walking in the truth. This verb, martyreo, Translated in some versions, well-spoken. My version is translated testimony. I was reading another version this week. I think it was translated witness. But here's something that you need to know. And as I said last week, that there are a string of tenses that are used in, in this letter. But now we're introduced to a different one. This is called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense is actually implying that the testimony to Demetrius had been given over a period of time, and it was still effective. And that's what you want. That's what you want people saying about you, because over a long period of time, you, you prove to be this person who is walking in truth, this person who is living the righteousness of Christ in his life, not a person who is caught up in sin. So you want that over a period of time. That perfect tense talks about a starting place that happened in the past, but it's still having continual results. And that was Demetrius. As a preacher, he fulfilled what we had just read from 1 Timothy 3.7, that he had a good reputation with those outside the church. But he also had a good reputation with those in the church, as we're hearing here. But let's ask another question. 
What actually makes a good reputation? I've hit on this already, but there are two specific things that I believe that lend to a good reputation. And the first one is integrity. It's based on integrity. Now, what do we mean by integrity? Well, that's just talking about being blameless, being upright in your heart. The basic meaning in the Old Testament had to do with a soundness of character, adherence to moral principle, uprightness, honesty, sincerity, purity of heart, purity of motive, upright in character. So as I said, when you hear that phrase, to walk in integrity, it's indicating an habitual manner of life. And that habitual manner of life shows itself by being honest, by being pure, and by being sincere. In fact, the Greek word for sincere came from a clay pot. And what dealers used to do is if they had a crack in the pot, they would seal it with wax. And if you were... A shopper going to buy a clay pot, you know what you would do? Is you would take the pot and hold it up to the sun. Because if it had a crack in it, you would be able to see it. I mean, what does that say about us in our lives? Are there cracks in our lives? I mean, again, do you, do you, do you act one way here and a different way when you're at home or you're around other people? We want to be consistent, Right? Everybody in here presents themselves very well and being of God, being of Christ and loving the Word of God. But is that how you are at home? Men, do you love your wives as Christ loved the church? Ladies, are you husband lovers and children lovers as Titus 2 talks about? Are you obedient to the Word of God? I mean, obviously you're exercising obedience this morning in that in Hebrews 10 you are not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some there's some people say we don't have to go to church I've heard that over and over in the 30 plus years but Hebrews 10 talks about you're not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together and apparently some are doing it because he says as the manner is with some some were doing that And I'll tell you, you know, I know that there are circumstances and situations that happen in all of our lives, and sometimes things happen that are completely out of your control and make it where you can't be here. I understand that. A Good Testimony. That's the title of our message today, which was taken from 3 John, verses 12 through 15. This message is available on one full-length audio CD and is made available today by calling us at 904-651-3351. You can visit our website at www.changedbygrace.org to download the free MP3. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I do want to thank you for joining us today, and I do hope that you'll join us again next time as we study together from the Word of God. Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I want to personally invite you to visit Eastport Baptist Church this morning at 11 o'clock. We are biblical, 
expository, and reformed. I look forward to meeting you and worshiping together.